Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's Greg Batsik. Hey, everybody. Happy sunny Tuesday to you. It's 310 on WTMJ. In for John the rest of the week. Stephen Watson hanging out on sports. We say hello to Amy Taylor this fine day. Greetings. How are you? You're looking fine today. Well, uh, the hair is growing in. I noticed Um, a hat, a baseball cap. I did. Are, are you undercover? Uh, so we are streaming the program. Feel free to join us uh, and hop along for the ride here. The, the facial hair is growing in. I might have more hair on my face than are, my head. Are you matching the face to the to the head? What's well, going on? I, I didn't know where to start a razor. That was part of the issue. And, and then as the facial hair started to come in. You're like, uh, oh, I like it. Well, my wife seems to like it. She That's likes the cute. kind of the salt and peppery thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stephen Watson is a finely dressed and a very handsome man. He even gave me compliments after he introduced himself to me yesterday. Didn't quite recognize me. Are you still a silver fox if you grow it as a beard? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think... You have hair. You have hair. Well, I have some hair. It's just... Uh, uh, you have a lot of hair. It's... <laughs> you do. On the sides and in the back. Right. Not on the top. Which is great. <laughs> We're getting there. I think it looks good. Well, this is all because of people and listeners and fans helping raise $7,500 plus. We actually got to $8,500 for the Mac Fund for my 100 holes of golf. And we saw you, Amy, the last, uh, I think the day before I embarked on that journey. So you were a part of the whole reason why I'm growing hair back. I played with Steven that day. We'll get to it more coming up later in the program. We are following a handful of stories here. Very busy day here as we approach 312. What are we following? This is the 3 at 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Thank you, big voice guy. Where do we begin? This may come as a relief to Milwaukeeans. The city of Milwaukee is updating its COVID-19 policy. Yeah, so today County Executive David Crawley announced the end of Milwaukee County's vaccine mandate and masking requirements. Want to wear a mask? Go ahead. You don't need to, though. Policy change comes after the federal government announced the COVID-19 public health emergency will end on Thursday, May 11. So the county executive says the policy is not a declaration that COVID is over by any means. It's not been eliminated. Uh, It's not that this is no longer a threat. It's just more extreme measures are being wiped away from what you need to do. And we have a friend today who was sick, not with COVID, but I really respect that he wore a mask just because he didn't feel well and he didn't want to spread it. Thank you. Yeah, the mask uh, may be associated with COVID from here on out, but right. there were others wearing right, there's masks a, other just diseases. they feeling well or just didn't want to get sick at the airport because the airport's a hazmat scene, for goodness sake. So exactly. the mask can still help if you've... Got a bit of a cold. You have a cold or something else going on. Uh, Anyone with plans to see country music star Morgan Wallen? Sad news today for him. Those plans are now on hold. I got some bad news from my doctors at the Vanderbilt Voice Center yesterday. After taking 10 days of vocal rest, I performed three shows last weekend in Florida. And by the third one, I felt terrible. So I went in and got scoped yesterday, and they told me that I re-injured my vocal cords and that I have vocal trauma. Well, he's on vocal rest, but still kind enough to make that little video using his vocal cords. Nonetheless, Morgan Wallen, maybe the most popular touring act right now. His one night at a time tour came to Milwaukee in mid-April. That thing was sold out. It was huge, and people call him a legend in the making. I think yes. that's probably appropriate. So from here on out, it's uh, mid-May to the end of June, at the very least, uh, likely to the end of June, where Morgan Wallen concert dates are going to be wiped away. No word on how they're going to compensate those who purchase tickets. No rescheduled dates announced. So it's on hold for now. But if you're planning on going to a, a, a tour stop and you missed Milwaukee, 
good luck. It's devastating news for Morgan Wallen, for any performing artist. Let's wish him well and hope he makes a quick recovery. Yes. Yes. Snake Button fans rejoice. Uh, I haven't seen the snake button myself, but the fan favorite from the Milwaukee Public Museum will make its way over to the new building in 2026 as we get a first look today at new renderings for the new galleries. There will definitely be a snake button. I'm thinking at least one of them are located here. Yes, it'll be featured in a space called Living in a Dynamic World. It's the fourth of five permanent galleries to be unveiled as the museum looks to open its new building in 2026. Every few weeks, it seems like there's a new rendering of the new exhibit. And there's still one more to go, so it's it's not a completed project yet, but uh, renderings, I'm a sucker for them, and the latest ones are very cool. It just depicts all the different areas you're going to be able to explore once the museum, the renovated, the rethought, reimagined museum opens in 2026. And I like the way they're handling this from a public relations standpoint. It's sort of a slow build yes. and, and getting people comfortable with the idea that the museum is going to be very different because museums are going undergoing a huge uh, change in nationwide in, t- in terms of how people experience them. Speaking of nationwide, nobody is more nationwide than Major Garrett. Chief White House correspondent will join us coming up on the other side. Busy day in the Washington world. Major Garrett with us after this. It's 315. He is the chief Washington correspondent for CBS News, author of The Big Truth, Creator and host of the Takeout Podcast and the Debrief on CBS. We're happy to be joined by the one and only Major Garrett. Greetings, Major. Good afternoon. Were you at the White House Correspondents' Dinner? I don't think we had a chance to ask you that. I was there, indeed. Do you get a chance to uh, request meal items? Uh, Pardon me? Do you get a chance to request meal items? Like, do they hand out a card? You put hash browns. I want hash browns for dinner. (laughs) No, no. It's the same plate of food for all 3,000 roughly guests, uh, which if you've ever served dinner for 3,000, uh, temperature is varied, uh, but the menu is always the same. There's a salad, there's a wedge of meat, there's a wedge of fish and some kind of potato. And it's, uh, it's you know, the dinner circuit sort of thing. And when you're throwing out dishes of three, for, for 3,000 diners, it's a time-consuming process. And most of the people at the White House Correspondents' Dinner Skip that part and just mill around to talk to one another. <laughs> uh, we, we, we did an hour uh, before the dinner live on Sirius XM uh, POTUS Channel 124 with a wide array of guests who came to the uh, takeout microphone. So, yes, I was there and working, as I'm always kind of always working, it seems. Yeah, so we, we have some breaking news today. A jury in New York yeah. found former President Donald Trump liable for battery and defamation in the E. Jane, e. Jean Carroll case. Um, this was uh, not a pretty showing for the former president. Um, he, he, the jury awarded also awarded Carroll $5 million in compensatory and punitive damages. Mm-hmm. He didn't get this rape charge, though. So, right. And a couple of things worth saying clarifying up front it's not a criminal trial this was a civil proceeding and in a civil proceeding the requirement to find liability is lower as a matter of evidence than in a criminal trial criminal trial has to be unanimous verdict beyond a reasonable doubt civil trial unanimous verdict preponderance of the evidence that's a lower standard in the jury's mind the standard was met and the jury concluded that there was a, a battery of Eugene Carroll and the battery was committed by Donald Trump. And then when that allegation of that said battery, Eugene Carroll said she was raped. Not only did Trump deny it, but he defamed her, according to the jury's conclusion, by saying 
she was not her his type and other comments suggesting her only motivation in bringing this up was to either sell books or make money or both. And the jury concluded, and there was plenty of time for all evidence for the defense and the plaintiff to be brought before this jury, that Trump battered her and then defamed her. And the Trump attorneys have said they'll appeal, but this was a quick verdict. And the appeal, I don't think, is going to land well because there are no procedural defects in this proceeding. Trump was given every opportunity. The judge even extended the amount of time permissible for him to reconsider whether or not he would or wouldn't testify. So there will be an appeal. But this verdict uh, looks very strong based on what the jury heard in the case. And my sense, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an expert on this, is that it will prevail over time. From the former president to the current president, we heard from White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre on Monday Major reaffirming President Biden's unwillingness to negotiate the debt ceiling. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying, look, we're going to run out of money before June Mm -hmm. 1st, and it's called it a calamity if the debt ceiling is not raised. Does the ceiling need to be raised? It's it's certainly not uncommon for it to be raised to avoid an economic calamity. Right. It is not remotely uncommon for it to be raised. However, we have lived through default cliffhangers before. I've covered every single one of them. Unhappily, my career in Washington has coincided with default cliffhangers. <laughs> and so, and so goes never, the American public. Before. I'm not sure I'm the cause of it. I'm not sure I'm the cause of it, but I've been around for all of them. They never occurred before I got here. They started occurring in the, the mid-2000s, mid to late 2000s with President Obama, and they've been around lurking ever since. This one feels very real. It feels more unstable and politically fraught than any other previous default cliffhanger that we have lived through. Why? Because I do think there are votes in the House Republican conference that will take the risk of default to sort of, in former President Trump's frequent phraseology, see what happens. See what happens is not a very good idea when you're talking about the full faith and credit of the United States government. Currency markets, credit rating agencies, and other economic hardships that could come due if, in a default scenario, suddenly U.S. is not regarded as the strongest, most formidable, and reliable global economy, which would be a consequence of defaulting. And so there's going to have to be a negotiation. President Biden doesn't want to negotiate, but he's going to have to negotiate something. There's a meeting going on as we speak at the White House right now in the Oval Office between all the congressional negotiators and the president. That's not going to produce a deal today, but at least they're talking about what the contours of a deal will have to look like. Because without some sort of compromise, I don't think House Republicans can put the votes together to raise the debt ceiling without some of their agenda items being ticked off, being achieved. Senate Democrats haven't passed anything in the Senate. The president is basically saying, I'm going to force you to play this game of chicken with me until the very last minute where we're getting closer and closer to the very last minute. So the Republicans are asking for spending cuts, and Biden is saying mm-hmm. he's not going to give those. That's correct. That's essentially where it is. Now, the only ray of light in all of this is a very dark scenario. It really does. I do feel like the default possibility is higher than it's ever been before. The one ray of light is that most House Republicans have been very flexible on what they would point to as acceptable 
spending cuts. Many have just said, I just want to change the directory of future spending. There's a lot of room in there, okay? And if the White House can explore and find ways to do something on the spending cut side in the future, perhaps there's a place for compromise. At least House Republicans haven't been so definitive. Most have not said it's only our bill and no other bill. All they've said is we just want the president to negotiate. So there is room to do exactly that. But the president's got to decide that he's willing to have those conversations. And then they have to find in pretty quick order what that looks like, what you can get the votes for in the House and the Senate, and how we can avoid this default scenario. And the June 1st deadline is certainly looming. Major Garrett, the chief Washington correspondent, he was at the correspondence dinner. He did not request hash browns. He is the author of The Big Truth, the creator of the Takeout podcast, and, of course, the debrief on CBS. Thank you, Major. We'll check in again next week. Thanks so much. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. I'm going to go ahead and guess that was a rattlesnake sound effect, Adam. Is that what you did there? Correct, sir. Okay. Uh, The rattlesnake button is a a thing. If you've ever been to the Milwaukee Public Museum, you know what the rattlesnake button is. Well... It's this, sort of I must be the only Milwaukeean who doesn't didn't know about the rattlesnake button. I've been there many times with my kids. I've enjoyed it, loved it, spent the night there. At the museum? Yeah, night really? at the museum for a charitable event. We purchased the night at the museum, and we spent the night on the floor. Oh, goodness. And it, I, let me tell you, that linoleum is tough. Yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, really fun. The kids got really freaked out by the exhibits. Uh, we were in the Native American exhibit, and they were you know young enough to be afraid. Well, so these permanent galleries are being unveiled slowly but surely by mm-hmm. the Milwaukee Public Museum, the latest of which was released earlier today. In uh, It's called a dynamic world. We'll get into what that all means. But for those who are wondering if the snake button is going to be included. There will definitely be a snake button. And we're thinking at least one of them are located here. Now, um, if you're driving around just smashing your head against the steering wheel, wondering what the heck the snake button is, it, it's just that it's a it's a hidden button that uh you know some kind of, kind of an easter egg like they do you know a little surprise for people right somebody may discover it and you may not you may go to the museum 10 times and not know where it is and you, you press, press the it, button and what happens a snake starts rattling okay <laughs> things happen within and the exhibit people want the snake button and it's coming out in 2026 in the new new living in the dynamic world galleries along with a lot of other cool stuff there's going to be five different halls. Um, this was revealed today by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I want to give credit where credit's due for Amy Schwab, I think is how you say her name. I'm not sure. But kudos to her for a nice piece of, about the zoo and the things that are going to be transferred, including the gorilla Samson, Simba the lion, Timba the elephant. Those are favorites. Along with the muskrat exhibit. The muskrat exhibit, yes. Yeah, which is important. And the inf- influential Milwaukee-style dioramas. Did you realize that those were created here? The it's, Milwaukee-style ones? No, I did not. Pretty cool, isn't it? I, I, in fact, I'm getting a, an education on the Milwaukee Public Museum with all these different renderings and exhibits that are being revealed. Now, again, this is number four of five, and there's one more to be 
unveiled at some point in the next few weeks. Just as we've taken you on a tour around Wisconsin, we've taken you on a tour around Milwaukee, we've taken you back in time. Now we want to take you on a world tour. That's Helen Deviak from Think Design. They're behind the whole design and the renderings. So geography, geology, sociology, it all sort of comes together in these immersive experiences at the museum. In this world tour, we're looking at a diversity of landscapes from the Arctic landscapes to deserts to grasslands and looking at who lives there, what lives there, and how do these landscapes impact how life is lived there from habits to habitat. So they're going to have a, a kind of a, a conglomeration of things. There will be exhibits that are permanent. There will also be flexible exhibit spaces so you can rotate different exhibits in and out. Think about how the domes operate with their show dome. Go at Christmas time, it's kind of got a nutcracker theme. Go in springtime, it's different. So they can be transformational throughout the course of the year. It would be a range of large ancient fossils to uh, cultural items to gorgeous precious gems that really give you a sense of the diversity and variety that, that's held within the 4 million plus objects held at the museum. I think the bottom line takeaway from the whole thing, Amy, is that they're, they're trying to make this new and fresh and exciting while bring over some of the more popular components of the old museum, right? They're, they're sort of blending yesterday with today. They're honoring the things that are important to people, like the streets of old Milwaukee. That was a controversial thing because people have loved that, but they're going to have some sort of you know, replication of that, but it won't be exactly like it is. Um, but I think, you know, like you're saying, it's going to be very immersive and sort of an all-around experiential thing, including, you know, you can smell the spice, the spices of life, because the way the spices we learned in grade school, right, about how trade evolved around the world with spices, that type of thing. So you're going to have this, you know, curiosity to discover and kind of open drawers and be much more interactive in the museum than you had been in the past. So if you want to see any of the renderings, all you have to do is text the word museum to the old National Bank talk and text line. That's 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. We'll send the images right to your phone. Just text the word museum to the talk and text line. Uh, the final reveal is coming up at the end of May or near the end of May, May 23rd to be exact, and it'll be the Rainforest Gallery. So this will be the fifth and final set of renderings that we get to lay our eyes on. And, uh, you know, we'll keep the text line up and running. So as you uh, want to get updated on what the latest information is, just send that word museum to our talk and text line. We'll get the info right to you. Very cool. I like I mean, they have a lot to tackle. So getting it yes. down to five halls is pretty interesting with the planets, the deserts. I mean, they're going to be exploring all these different cultures, the Grasslands Hall, the Arctic Hall, um, which will be dedicated to the Inuit people of North America and the Nordic people um it's a, it's a really interesting uh, challenge, I think, for them to try to pull this off in a way that is going to get people excited again and reinvigorate the Milwaukee Public Museum. It'll be a two-year-and-change project to get this thing up and running to its uh, scheduled opening date in 2026. No specifics on when in 2026. Uh, but they have all sorts of space now to work with. They have a 50,000-square-foot storage facility, for goodness sake. So very cool things happening with the Milwaukee Public Museum. Uh, unfortunate things happening in Texas. ABC's Alex Stone is going to join us with the latest. There was a press conference that wrapped up in Allen, Texas, uh, about 2.45 this afternoon. Alex Stone is there. He's got the latest on the mass shooting from over the weekend. <music> somber times in Allen, Texas. As a mass shooting that killed eight and wounded seven additional 
has rocked the area. FBI and Texas Department of Public Safety with a news conference that wrapped up a little over an hour ago as we start to piece together information and learn more about the victims and the murderer who is also dead. The 33-year-old Alex Stone is in Texas and joins us today. Alex, what is the latest? What are the updates we have after the news conference? Well, Greg and Amy, uh, a lot of new details coming out. Investigators until now had not said very much. The, The last briefing they gave was on Saturday afternoon, and in that one they only came out and gave very basic info and then took no questions. Uh, So uh, a lot of it was coming out from sources and in other ways, uh, but not a lot that was official until now. So today they got a lot more into it. And bottom line, they don't know a motive. Hank Siebley with the Texas Department of Public Safety saying they're working on that. The big question that we're dealing with right now is what's his motive? Why did he do this? Well, the big question is we don't know. That's what the investigation is trying to find out. He says it is clear some of the shooter's views based on what he had on his body and what he had posted on social media, that they're going through the, the social media on his computers and his cell phone now. Uh, despite some who have not believed the leaks that have been out there about the shooter's ideology and views, the uh, the head of Texas DPS saying today that, that that is true, that they do believe that, that he had some of the views. We do know that he had neo-Nazi ideation. He had patches. He had tattoos. And, uh, guys, he was separated from the U.S. Army from basic training years ago because of mental health. He was not fit for the the U.S. Army. Sibley saying today that that documented mental health history did not stop him from buying the guns in Texas that that he had with him uh, when he carried it out. He had uh, quite a few weapons on him. He had eight weapons with him. He had three on his person, and he had five in his vehicle. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms has run traces on all the weapons. All of the weapons were legally obtained by the shooter. They know the shooter had worked as a security guard for a few uh, security firms. They believe he targeted the location, not specifically individual people, uh, in the sense of not going there trying to to go after one race or one sex or anything like that, that it was whoever was around him uh, among the, the dead being young children. He was not on police radar. They do believe he was acting alone, but a lot they still don't know. And they say they're trying to put together that picture, despite his apparent ideology. Do they want to know why Saturday? Why did he decide it needed to be carried out? And that they don't know. Alex, this is another horrible slaughter that takes place in a public place. Americans have felt safe in their schools. They had felt safe in their supermarkets, their parks, their parades, their Christmas parades. Um, tell me about Allen, Texas. Now they are not safe in those places. Now they're not safe there. Can you describe this suburb a little bit for me? Well, it's about 20 miles, 30 miles outside of Dallas. Uh, it is a, a conservative area that, that still, despite what the, the community is going through, uh, well, here, the uh, the investigators saying this today about, well, what about the, the gun laws in Texas and should this have been prevented based on the, the documented mental health issues of this shooter? And, and it was put this way. Even if he couldn't have purchased these firearms legally, he probably could have obtained them illegally or used some other vehicle, literally a vehicle, to perpetrate something similar. You know, it's uh, when you have people with mental illness, if, this, if it turns out that this gentleman has that, uh, when you have that situation, they will find a way. So uh, unlike in some communities, Uvalde being one of them, uh, there has not been this urgent push for gun law changes. You've you've seen in Uvalde yesterday that there was some movement in the Texas state legislature to increase the age to buy an AR-style rifle. 
that was somewhat symbolic, being it was in one committee to now go to another committee, and it may never uh, go up for a full House vote in the, the state House, and then we'll have to go to the other chamber and then to the governor. Um, but, but in Uvalde, they have had that, that pressure. Ian Allen, at least at this point, and it could change, but at this point, uh, that's not really being seen or felt. That right now it's more about the the mental health aspect of it and uh, trying to to tackle that. Wow, uh, ABC's Alex Stone joining us from Allen, Texas. Thank you, Alex. You got it. Thanks, guys. Every country has people with mental health issues. Every country, right? Not every country has mass shootings. Two hundred mass shootings. Not every country has AR-15 style rifles readily available. People have to start. To per- care. I, I get it. Purchased legally? Okay. But of right sound mind to, to control and own that weapon? Absolutely not. Right. My understanding also that these were legal purchases um, because they were private. So he didn't have to go through any federal background check. That's a problem. He could just go get these guns, and he acquired them over time. He didn't rush to go get them. So he was he was plotting and planning all chances to catch him, right? All chances to intervene. And this guy was separated from the Army 15 years ago. So 15 years of, of mental health issues. It just seems to me like we need more measures to try to find these people. And he's circulating this information on the Internet. He had the stickers. He had the neo-Nazi sticker, the, the Russian sticker. He had some insignia. Um, and, and it's just, it, it seems like we can do better than this. Well, and, and it's... I know a lot is being learned about this gentleman after the fact and that he was part of these different groups online and so on and so forth. But how much investigation of those groups is happening prior to horrific events right. taking place? Right. right. And just sort of keep in monitor of who those people are and what they may have up their sleeves. Absolutely, because they are present in these chat groups and and we need to be aware of them and to continue to, to denounce Nazism in our country. Just a thought.